So my screen is kind of goofy, folks. I, I got a big screen. Paul Zadorian and I were talking about uh, big screen monitors, and I got this monitor that's as wide as I am tall, or a small child is tall, actually. It's big. Because I'm doing video production now, and let me show you kind of that before we get started. So my main screen, here we go. So I do a lot of video production for the new videos. We have a ton of really, really short videos that we're working on. And I uh, got a studio downstairs, and so I need the real estate. At least that's what I did to try to justify it to my wife. But um, <laughs> I, I, the screen is kind of goofy, so that's why you can see the actual Chrome screen, and you can see the slides that are loading on the left-hand side. So it's going to be a little bit different. I wasn't expecting it to be like that, so I apologize. But I'm really excited just because backdoors and breaches exploded, just to put it mildly. So Deb, what is our total count of backdoors and breaches that we've sold through Amazon so far? Um, about 6,000. About 6,000 copies that people paid for. And for the record, if anyone's looking at that and they're like, well, they're charging $10 a copy and they're thinking about how much money that is, Amazon takes like 99.9%. We're actually in debt to Amazon. That's so true. Yeah, something, but, something monopoly, right? Yeah, but it's um, so nice that we don't have to ship them. It's worth it. It is. It's yeah. worth it, right? Yeah. Now, that's how many we've sold and how many have we given away so far? About 8,000. 8 to 9,000. Eight to 9,000. So that's a lot, right? So the game by itself is really cool from a Dungeons and Dragons perspective and building the game out. But we've came out with a way to play it competitively. So two people, and actually three or four people, could play competitive backdoors and breaches against each other. And I wanted to walk through the rule sets for you to be able to do that. Now, this webcast is brought to you by Wild West Hackenfest. We now have two locations so far. We have San Diego, California, and we also have Deadwood, South Dakota. And I've had a lot of people ask me, why San Diego? I love San Diego. It was actually the first city. We were talking about all the cities that are showing up, and I've been to a bunch of them. San Diego was actually the first city I ever went to for a SANS conference, Tiang for Ed Scotus. So out of every place, San Diego really resonates with me a lot, and I like it there because it's warm. So we're going to be doing Wildos Hackenfest there. So check out our website. The con is awesome. It's also brought to you by Backdoors and Breaches, of course. <laughs> There's been some conversation of Black Hills Information Security about charging for it and, and how much we actually charge for it. And basically, we're trying to charge $10 per deck, and that's getting as low as we possibly can for covering our costs and our time for getting it up to Amazon. There have been people at BHIS who are like, well, we should jump it up to 20. We'll make money. The goal on this is not to make money. And if you look at it and you say, well, I can't, I can't afford it, $10, I understand. Come to a con and we're going to be there. Uh, how many decks are we taking out to ShmooCon? Uh, we're going to have 600 decks at ShmooCon. And then we have and like seven or 8,000 more we're giving away this week, this year at events. And I honestly think that the I think that 600 will burn through probably within 45 minutes at ShmooCon if if DerbyCon was any indication. So check that out. Also, Black Hills Information Security. We do pen testing, red teaming, threat hunting, webcasts, open source tools, blogs. I would also add into this. We got to update the slide. We do forensics. If you need forensic services, we are absolutely starting to do that. 
as well. Brought to you by AI Hunter for network threat hunting. And then HTOC services by Black Hills Information Security and AI Hunter. This is a managed service of doing continuous hunting. And uh, we do a 24 by seven hunt monitoring with AI Hunter. We provide scan results and results of what we're seeing on the network traffic. Expert support uh, where you could sit down with a BHIS team member and kind of go over architecture and also access to our cyber range that has about uh, two, three hundred questions now for five employees. If you are all interested in this service, just type in HTOC. We'll get back to you. So let's, there, let's get through the marketing slides. Here we go. So why are we here? Well, tabletops are just not fun. A lot of these slides are regurgitation slides from the uh, previous webcast that I did on backdoors and breaches. We have some people on this particular session session that may not be familiar with backdoors and breaches and we're not on that previous webcast but tabletop exercises are horrific you get into arguments all the time about what people think will work or what doesn't work well we run silence no one can bypass silence yes we can no you can't the vendor told me you couldn't and, and you get into these really bad swirls and backdoors and breaches was designed to break through the swirl and really get people exposed to some real world attacks. I was once on a tabletop exercise and they're like, well, what happens if one of our systems gets hit by a row hammer? More than likely not gonna happen, folks. It's not, you know, speculative execution attacks are out there, they're a thing, but honestly, it's not something that's very realistic for most real world attacks. And the same thing we go for like TLS SSL attacks, but because they're in the news, People get hung up on them and they tend to waste time on the lower risk issues that exist as well. So we're trying to tie it to the real attacks that we use and are effective at Black Hills Information Security. Now the roles will stay very similar to what we do for Backdoors and Breaches core. Now traditionally with Backdoors and Breaches, you have the players and you have the incident master. However, in competitive Backdoors and Breaches, you have two players. Both the players will be playing against each other. They'll be playing attack cards against the environment that they're going up against, and they'll be defending their network from the attacks that are being leveraged against their organization. I'm still very heavily focused on dice. So with the dice, you can get the dice app on your phone. You can get real 20-sided dice. We hand them out all the time at conferences. When you roll the dice and you're playing the game, if it's 11 and over, then the action is a success. If it's 10 and lower, it's fail. Now, if you have procedure cards, you get a plus three modifier on the various procedures as well. So really, really cool uh, kind of basic game, but with competitive, we've definitely kicked it up a notch. Now, by and large, this entire game had its roots in Dungeons and Dragons. And it's really set up with traditional backdoors and breaches where the incident master is deciding what's going to happen. Now, whenever we start playing it competitively though, there's very specific rules on how these things are supposed to actually work as well. So let's break it down and then I'm gonna go through some example gameplay and then I'll answer a bunch of questions for people at the end. So first, <coughs> excuse me. So first, when we're looking at a card, every one of the cards has a title. Like this one is an initial attack and compromise card, and it basically says that you initially get compromised through a spear phishing attack. We have a large number of different cards that we have in the game. Well, let me open those up. And uh, well, you can't see that, so I'm not sharing my screen, but there's about, uh, I would say about 10 of these cards 
and then we break them up into categories for persistence and lateral movement and command and control. And we'll walk through that here in a second. But you have the title of the card, some overall text describing what that card actually is. So this one's like the attacker sends a malicious email targeting users because users are super easy to attack. Feel free to add a narrative of CEO getting fished or maybe help them. Now, detection was there in the original backdoors and breaches game to kind of help the incident master and the players along. Because if you're new to this and you're, you're playing the role of the incident master and somebody tries to take an action, you're constantly going to be in a situation of, well, would that work? Would that not work? So detection was added to help the incident masters make a determination as to whether or not the activities by the defenders was successful. However, with competitive backdoors and breaches, it's far more important because you're going to be building your detection defender procedure deck and you're going to be buying the cards to actually run these activities to shut down cards like this one. Okay. We also have a series of tools that you can use to actually test your organization, Evil Engine X, GoFish, Cred Sniper, and blog posts down below to help you and your team understand a little bit better the technical underpinnings of exactly what this particular attack looks like. So that's the anatomy of a card. So the initial attack and compromise cards, there's four phases that we're calling the cyber kill chain in this. So hats off to Lockheed Martin uh, for finally winning and grinding me down into the dirt. I'm now using cyber kill chain in various things and it makes me sick to my stomach every single time, but whatever. So with the cyber kill chain, you have like initial attack and compromise, you have persistence, you have C2 data exfil, and then you have lateral movement and privilege escalation. That creates the entire chain. So when you're playing the game, as you'll see here in a second, and you attack, you will always start with an initial compromise card. Point is, how do you initially get a foothold in that organization? How do you start? And then you build the rest of your attack path up based on the cards that you start with and based on the cards that you purchase as well. So if I'm going through this game step by step and I want to attack your network, I would start with a fishing card and then I would roll and I would do a persistence card. Now, the idea of a persistence card is kind of the malware that would hit the environment where many of the initial attack and compromise cards, not all, but many of them are kind of a process on how to get access to an environment like phishing, bring your own exploited device, password spraying. That persistence card is where you really start dropping malware or malicious plugins on a computer system. So we could install, and this one, it's a malicious browser plugin. The attacker installs plugins in the browser. This can be used as part of a command and control and persistence mechanisms. Um, and the browser is now the new endpoint. So how is the attacker maintaining access on that system? It could also be a malicious service, malicious executable. There's a number of different persistence cards that exist in this game. Now, the detection gets interesting. Some of these cards have multiple points where you can actually detect the specific attack. Endpoint security protection, endpoint analysis, web proxy firewall log review, NetFlow, Zeek, Bro, Rita analysis. Now, all of these cards that you see in detection correlate to the defender cards that you can purchase that increase your ability to detect these particular attacks on your network. And then once again, we have the links at the bottom. HTTPS is exfil as part of a command and control and data exfiltration. 
If you look at the MITRE attack techniques matrix, go right to it. I just went to the Splunk website. Well, win one for advertising. So if we look at the matrix, you have these two columns right here, right? So we have command and control and we have data exfiltration. Now we haven't written cards for every single one of these because we ultimately wanted the game to be able to fit in a standard 52 card deck, right? So we have a whole bunch of command and control and we have a bunch of data exfiltration cards that are actually built into the game. And this is just one of them. Once again, you have the name. This particular card is HTTPS's exfil. Pretty basic, just using encrypted HTTP to communicate with malware. And the detection on this is NetFlow, BroZeek, Rita Analysis. Now, when you play this game, you're going to identify that some of the cards are far more powerful and far more useful right out of the gate than other cards on the procedure side. And that makes sense. So if you're looking at endpoint protection analysis, absolutely, you would expect that card to be used heavily in the persistence realm. If you're looking at network analysis and NSM, network uh, security monitoring, you would expect NetFlow, Zeek Bro, and Rita analysis to be used heavily for these particular cards. So it's very common when you're setting up a strategy and you get better at the game, you'll find out which cards are more effective and you're gonna buy those cards right away. And I'm hoping that that correlates back into what people do for the defenses in their own organizations. They basically look at it like, hey, good solid endpoint EDR is critical. Good solid network analysis is critical. A good SIM, especially when we're talking about pivot and escalate, is really essential as well. So then organizations will start developing their security support structures in such a way to detect these types of attacks because they've been using these cards so much in the game. So this is one that's pivot and escalate. Internal password spray, the attacker does a password spray against the rest of the organization. Detection, user and entity behavioral analysis, and SIM log analysis. Again, you're gonna see cards like UBEA, you're gonna see cards like SIM, endpoint, and also network be used constantly. They're gonna be some of the first cards that you're gonna to try to buy when you're playing this game competitively. And then of course, once again, we have tools like domain password spray as well. So there we go. Now the procedure cards, the blue cards, are the cards that help you repel your opponent. So you're simultaneously doing two things. You're increasing your ability to successfully repel an attack, and you're building up your ability to attack your opponent. So you've got that red and you've got that blue. We were trying to come up with narratives of why would two companies be trying to hack each other? And I, I left all of that on the cutting room floor. I was trying to work on a board game variant where you can have like a United States sock and uh, you know South American and European and African and so on. But it got a little bit complicated trying to add in motivations and narratives into this game. So just suffice to say, as a good security professional, you have to understand the attacks and you have to understand the defenses. And it's very hard to play this game with just pure attack. And it's very hard to play this game. It's actually impossible to win just by playing pure defense. You have to balance the two together. So once again, we have a card that talks about what this is, NetFlow, Zeek Bro, Real Intelligence, Threat Analytics, a description of what this card does, the tools that you can use, for Rita, Security Onion, AI Hunter, and some blog posts associated with it. 
I did have one person point out, they're like, well, this card game seems to be a lot of marketing for Black Hills information security. And my answer to that is congratulations, Captain Obvious, you picked it up. Yes, this is absolutely something to help BHIS and active countermeasures and, uh, you know, got a little bit of that. But trust me, even if you look at it from that perspective, there's so much to learn in the blog posts and the tools and the things that we're doing. So, yes, these procedure cards help you repel the attack. So the state of play. So the order of operations, uh, I've noticed with most card games, you've got to always keep the order of operations as far as what you do in mind. So the order of operations is really, really, really stupid simple. You will always buy a card if you have a card available or funds to buy a card. And then you're going to attack or you're going to defend. You cannot do both. And I, I think that that was kind of put in to make the game a little bit more balanced, but also to get people to understand that, you know, when you're in security, when you're trying to learn skills, attack or defend is kind of critical when you're coming up. So you can't just be pure offense. You need that defense. You can't just be pure defense. You need that offense. And by setting it up this way, it forces the people to kind of choose their turn wisely. Are they going to try to defend and repel or are they going to attack? They've got to start thinking about that for every single turn that they do. All actions are based on rules, right? All attack actions. Every attack action is straight 50-50. You do not get a plus three modifier on any attack actions. It's a straight 50-50. All defend actions are 50-50 unless the defender has purchased a procedure card. Then when that happens, that procedure has a plus three modifier associated with. So it increases the odds of success. So this is the initial setup. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a way of visually representing this. But over here, you have your money. So I'll highlight that. You can see that we have money. So that Those are your resource points. Over here, your defense cards. These would be your procedure cards. Okay. John, At the beginning, use... yeah, go ahead. Didn't, didn't you use like candy or something as your money or pennies? Oh or my something? God, that was so, okay. So Kent and Jordan came up and we started playing this and we had these little Valentine's Day, like like sweet, smarty heart things. And uh, we were using that for a research point, resource point. And Kent kept eating his. It was, it, was, it was horrible to try to get through a game. And I'm like, well, how much money do you have, Kent? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I guess I've been eating them. It's like, ah. Oh. So you can use anything you want, right? So, so I'm getting a couple have, questions about the cost yeah. of the card. Is there yep. anything that decides the difference between how much a card costs? All cards are two. We were thinking about putting in a cost matrix for the cards, some cards having higher values than others, but we wanted the game to be stupid simple. So the purchase of every single card is two resource points. Any other questions? Because I addressed this a little bit later, but if there's questions right here, I really, really want to address the questions on the way. Uh, can they use Bitcoin? Yes. If you have enough Bitcoin, you absolutely can use Bitcoin as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it for now. Okay, cool. So that's your money. That's your resource points. And then these are your procedure cards. Now notice I've got them face down here, but you can look through them. There's no drawing random cards in this game. You can go specifically for the cards that you're looking for and the cards that you want. And at the beginning of each game, everybody's going to draw a card for um, initial attack and compromise, persistence, C2, exfil, and pivot and escalate. So you can see that this particular person picked these four cards, and player two over here picked these four cards. 
Those are the attack cards that you start with. You can purchase additional attack cards. So when you're buying, you have to choose, do I buy a defense card or do I buy an offense card? And there's some strategy associated with that a little bit later. So the resource points, all players start with 10 resource points at the beginning of the game. So you can see here, we have a batch of 10 and a batch of 10. All cards cost two resource points. This might change with the expansion pack. With the expansion pack, we may have cards that have a different price point on the resource points, but for the core, everything costs two resource points. Resource points are earned, or RP is earned, in one of three ways. And these are currently the only way that you can purchase or, or get money. So a failed defensive role will get you resource points for the defender. A failed resource or a failed defense role will also get one resource point for the attacker. You'll, you'll see why this is the case in just a couple of minutes. I'll explain why. If you complete your kill chain, so if I go back here, if I move all of my cards over and I've been able to deploy them on my uh, competitor's network, as soon as that has happened and I complete this kill chain and I have rolled successfully and deployed all of my attack cards and I've completed my kill chain, I can now start stealing resource points from my opponent on the other side, okay? So if I complete the cyber kill chain, once again, you're welcome, Lockheed. Then I can start stealing money from my opponent's deck, okay? So that's the three ways that I can get resource points. You can use pennies, skittle bone, uh, skittles, knuckle bones, whatever it is you want for RP. Just have it be something that you can have around. Now, this is another thing that was uh, kind of strange with the game as well. So when you're looking at how you make money in security. I, this, is, this is one of the areas where I really lost a lot of sleep. How do you actually make money? And initially, I wanted to make money whenever you did things successfully. So when you successfully repel, then you would make money. And it hit me that in the state of security, you never get money when you do things right, ever. If you look at computer security, organizations seem to only spend money whenever there's a security failure. So when you're looking at how a defender earns money, the defender only makes money when they roll for defense and they fail at that roll. So if you're trying to repel initial attack and compromise and you're rolling on endpoint security analysis, you will only make money when you fail on that roll. And the amount of money that you get is the difference between the failed roll and uh, which is less than 11 and 10. For example, if I roll a three, then I get seven resource points because you take 10 minus three, the delta is seven. So we call this throwing money at the problem because that's ultimately what happens in computer security today. So you never get money when you do things right, right? You, you will only be judged on your failures. So. And then in addition to the defenders getting the delta between 10, the attacker always gets one resource point for the defender's failed role. And the reason why we had to do this is we played a purely offensive game and a purely defensive game. And we found out that it's possible for the attacker to run out of money 
and not have attack cards. So we needed to have a way that the attacker could still make some money, even if you kind of reached a standpoint, standstill uh, between the two systems, or the two different systems of attacks on both sides. Quick question. Now, yeah, quick. Go. So if you, if you roll a 10, you get no money? Yeah, if you roll a 10, you fail, you get no money, and the attacker gets one RP. That's absolutely correct. And can you purposely fail rolls? Can you purposely fail rolls? No, no, you can't. You can't. That was something we were wondering. And we, we had a one situation where we were running out of money. And uh, Jordan was trying to cheat and trying to roll his dice on a sly to roll like a two to get money. But no, you can't. You can't, uh, you can't cheat like that. And then uh, to clarify, do you need two decks of cards to play player versus yes. player? Um. You do, actually, because we only have one endpoint security analysis, one net flow analysis. So you have to have two decks. And uh, I, I think this is when you're picking cards, are they face up or are they random? They're face up. They're face up. Yep. So you can choose your cards directly. We wanted to make that so you could build your proper defensive deck in play. So. So, you know, like, oh, crisis management. Mm. No, no, nothing like that. No, nothing like that. All right. Cool. Any other questions? That's it for now. All right. Um, we have some people saying, could you post a video where you actually play through? Yes, I'm actually going to play through a game here on the screen here in just a few minutes. So we will be doing that. So sit tight. So completing the kill chain. The other way that you can make money, not as a defender, because you can only make money with your roles and failed roles as a defender, you can make money by stealing it from your opponent. And you successfully steal money whenever you have built your entire kill chain. So you're really scrambling to do two things simultaneously when you play. You're trying to build your attack cyber kill chain against your opponent. And you're trying to build up your defenses so you can successfully kind of repel the opponent off of your network that you have. But it requires one of each of these colors. You have to Play successfully a red card, a purple card, a brown card, and a yellow card. That's initial attack and compromise, persistence, C2 and data exfil, and lateral movement and escalate on that environment. Now, this is another kind of fun thing about the game. Whenever you roll successfully as an attacker, you get to immediately roll again. That means if you roll an 11, on the first one, you get to roll again. If you roll a 12, you get to roll again. If you roll a 13, you get to roll again. If you roll a 15, you get to roll again, and then you get to start stealing money. Only after the entire chain is built from initial attack and compromise to persistence to C2 to lateral movement and escalation of privileges on the environment are you able to steal from your competitor's environment. John. You can also, oh, go ahead. This just reminds me of the time I got a virus that just let all the other viruses in. Like, yes. And they just, they're just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh. So is yeah. that what this is like? Like, once you own, you just keep throwing everything that you want at it? Is that the? Yes. So whenever we're doing pen tests, it seems like that initial foothold is really, really, really hard. But once we're on the network, bam, it goes really, really, really fast. So that's why the attacker gets that initiative. Once they get on, they could just keep rolling until they get a fail roll. And it also adds a, a really cool kind of bit of tension to the game. And we noticed a couple of times that 
Like the first time I started rolling, I got all four cards within one turn. And it really increases the butt pucker factor whenever you have somebody that's just on a tear and they're rolling like 11 and 15 and then 13 and then 20. And it's just like everybody is just like, oh, it gets really exciting. And I like those kind of depunctuated excitement points within the game. All right. Attack in depth. You can also stack multiple cards on top of each other. And the reason why we put this in play is if you're buying attack cards, the defender may have knocked over your initial attack and compromise card, but you may want to put an additional persistence mechanism on. You can do that. So you can stack multiple different cards, attack cards on top of each other by category. And this means that the defender has to roll twice to remove that entire, that entire foothold. So this is actually, once again, very similar to most pen tests. Whenever you get on an environment, you don't just want one C2. You would like to have two, three C2s. You just don't want to persist in one way. Maybe you want to persist in a couple of ways as well. So this gives you that capability to kind of create that attack in depth, and it makes it that much more difficult to try to dislodge the, uh, the, uh, the, the attacker on that environment as well. All right, so let's keep rolling. So as I mentioned, when you complete the kill chain, only then can you steal money. So if I have put attack cards like one, two, three, four, I successfully rolled, my next roll, if I roll a 15, means that I get to steal five resource points from my opponent. So that's basically how you win the game, is completing out your entire kill chain. And then once you're in it, it all the way through, then you can finally start stealing money from the defender as well. And the amount of money that you take is once again based on a dice roll and it's the delta above 10. So if I have 15, roll of 15, that means I still five RP points or resource points from my defender. John, is there a bonus for critical success or critical failure? No. So a 20 or a one? I, I went around on that and around on that and around on that. And I tried a bunch of different things. And basically, the one means you just get a lot of money, and the 20 means you get a lot of money. We, we just, we might come up with something that's really cool and consistent and works within the gameplay. And I know that people will have recommendations. We will add that in on the website. But right now, the ones and 20s, we were going to use the inject cards. But many of those inject cards were very specific to the game that's ran by an incident master. Like, you lose your, use your lead incident handler. There is no lead incident handler. Game. It just doesn't yeah. it doesn't work that way, um, but that also might change once we introduce the expansion pack. That is going to probably change the way ones and twenties are handled. Another question: So the defender uses the procedure card at any point while the attacker is rolling? No, they just get to run it during their turn. So they only get to leverage that procedure card after the attacker has successfully dropped malware in their environment. So the point is. You don't build a castle that keeps the attacker out. The attacker's getting in. You're repelling that attacker. We wanted this game to be like a computer security version of Whack-A-Mole. The attacker's constantly putting malware in your environment, and you're constantly knocking them out. Gotcha. All right. Zipping in. Okay, cool. So the defense rolls. So with the defense rolls, if I have an attack card here, um, on every attack card, it lists out what types of detection will work for detecting this particular attack. And you can see right here, this detection is Firewall Log Review, which has its own card, and NetFlow Zeek Pro Rita Analysis, which has its own card. So if you're going to try to repel a card, 
you have to call the card and you have to use your procedure card to get the bonus of plus three. If you do not have that procedure card, you can roll anyway, but you have to roll 11 or higher. It becomes a 50-50 shot of being successful and removing that card as well. So, so that's kind of the way that this works. You have to use the right procedures against the right attacks that are being utilized. And I really like bring your own exploited device. I think this is a good example. So the endpoint security analysis card is incredibly powerful. Um, many of the persistence cards get knocked out of the game very quickly by a well-ruled uh, endpoint analysis card. But if you look at this, bring your own exploited device, you're not going to have Bit9 and Carbon Black on that device. That device is a rogue IT device. And if you look, the detection, the only way you're going to detect that is firewall log review and NetFlow, Zeek, Bro, Rita analysis. So you can see that some of the cards, that's where the strategy starts to come in. So what cards do you want to buy for the attack? What cards do you want to buy for the defense? Which ones do you want to try to counteract right away? There's, there's definitely a cool strategy to it. And this is really where it starts to come into play. It also forces the players not just to roll blindly, but to actually look and say, well, if we're, if we're trying to detect bring your own exploited devices in our environment, these are the types of tools that we would need to have in our environment to detect that. So it forces you as a player to get to know the attack cards and get to know the defense cards a little bit better. All right, a couple questions. Yeah. Yep. So Michelle asked, when building a kill chain, do you have to stack attack cards before moving to C2 and Excel, or can you go back and add more persistence cards after building a full kill chain? You can go back and build more persistence cards after building the full kill chain. Absolutely. You can do whatever you want. And uh, then, Brian asked a question. He said, do procedure cards stack um, in the same attack stage? Yes, you can buy multiple different procedure cards, but you can only use one procedure card per turn. Yeah. And then Lynn uh, wanted to know what the dice look like, and this is it. Is it a 20-sided die? You can find them on Amazon or at a game store near you. And then at conferences, we hand out the Black Hills custom one. So all the people yeah. at the events that we go to will get those. And we hand out so many dice. We got the boxes the other day, and they were really heavy. There was a lot of boxes of dice. It was super heavy to do. So, All right, so here's an example. Let's say that uh, there's an attack cyber kill chain that's been built on my network, and my opponent has placed bring your own exploited device, malware as a service, Gmail, Tumblr, Salesforce as command and control, and weaponizing Active, Active Directory. Well, I want to target this card right here. I want to knock this card out of play. We're going to break bring your own exploited device. Now, in order to do that, I have to play either a firewall log review card or a NetFlow Zeek Bro Rita analysis card to get my plus three modifier. Well, in this example, I do. I actually have that card. I previously purchased that card. I have the Zeek Bro Rita card. I'm, I'm ready to roll against this particular card. So I roll a nine. Now, normally that would fail, but because I have this procedure card, I now get a plus three modifier, which means my value is now a 12, which means that it's successful. So because I played the Rita card against the bring your own exploited device card, that means that now the attacker's cyber kill chain is broken, completely broken. So this means that the attacker cannot steal resource points at all right now. So hopefully that makes some sense. Now, 
Any questions so far? Yep. Just I'll have one to... right here. Yeah, go ahead. I've got one from Chuck while you're looking for one. Chuck said, can I use this for team training? Absolutely. And that is that is that is absolutely the goal of this game is to make sure that people can use it to develop better team skills. Yeah, one of the things that we've seen with the game is that some people didn't know like credential stuffing existed or they didn't know that this existed or that existed. And so by playing the game, they're like, oh, are we, are we prepared for this? Are we prepared for that? Or that's where people have been finding the holes. Yeah. This is interesting. Kurt asked, can you play like three, four players? You absolutely can. You, you're going to call out your attacks and you're going to attack the other players. Can absolutely play it with uh, more than two players. And in fact, it makes the game incredibly crazy. Especially whenever you have people where the defenses are completely built up, you've knocked out a couple of players, it gets pretty intense pretty quick. All right. So a couple of questions from Mark. What would be the max RPs needed for play? So initial setup is 10 RPs to start. And I, I would say if you're going to buy like poker chips or something, if you have 30, 40 poker chips, you should be fine. Or 30, 40 pennies, you should be fine. Yep. And then, uh, John, I'm not sure if this is the question that you're saying. Is How much in total do I need to spend for two persons to play attack and defense? I'm not sure if you're talking about how much it costs for the decks or how much it costs in RP points. So let me know. Yeah, I don't know what that means. So just let us yeah. know. Um, All right. So I'm going to do a walkthrough. If you want to queue up some more questions, Jason, okay. I'll do a walkthrough of a game. Sounds All good. right. So let's play. All right. So we have the game start out. and. If you can see that in this particular scenario, we have each of the players has picked their attack cyber kill chain cards that they start with. So they each have one of each of the categories of attack cards. They have their procedure cards here, and I have them face down. You can have them face up. It really doesn't matter, but there's just all the procedure cards are present, but none of them are played. And then each player got 10 resource points to start. Now, in this game, player one, the one on the left, started by buying the endpoint protection card. So you can see the endpoint protection card is here, and there's now only eight resource points available to player one. Now, the playthrough always goes the same way. You buy cards if you want to, and then you take actions. You're going to choose to do attack, or you're going to choose to do defend. Now, in this situation, player one buys the defensive card and immediately goes on the offense. So the attack uh, player one rolls and rolls an 11. So now he's building his cyber attack chain against the adversary. And I went back and forth to have it be on this side or this side, and I just decided just to, all this stuff is player one stuff, all this side over here is player two's stuff, okay? So he's building, player one's on the left, he's building his cyber attack he rolls an 11 for attack, so he's successful in placing that card. Then, because he was successful in his attack, he gets to immediately attack again. He rolls a 14. So now he's got initial attack, and he has persistence on the uh, cyber kill chain that they're playing. So they got rolled once for the first card, and then rolled again and was able to get the second card. Not done. He's going to roll again. And in this situation, player one rolled again and rolled a seven. Because that's less than 11, it means that the attack phase is over. So player one's turn is now done. So player one was able to put two cards as part of his cyber kill chain to attack player two. Now, player two is getting ready to roll. 
and player two immediately buys a NetFlow Brozeek card. So you can see that there's a different strategy. We have initial endpoint analysis. We have a Rita Brozeek card. And you can also see that the resource points go down by two. So as soon as he bought these, this card, he lost two resource points, and now he has a Rita card. The buying phase of player two's turn is now over. So now player two goes on the attack. Player two rolls a 14. Once again, because that's 11 or higher, that means the player two gets to start building their cyber kill chain. And they built up the first tier with the initial attack and compromise, which just so happens to also be bring your own exploited device. Player two then rolls a 15 to keep that attack going because you get to constantly chain your attacks. You get to roll until you fail. So now they've got a 15 and they played the malicious service attack. They're running with Silent Trinity. Player two then rolls a two, that's below 11. That now means that player two's turn is over. So now it moves back to player one. Oh, I just lost my place, here we go. So now player one has built up that endpoint security analysis for, for their basis. Now they're building out the NetFlow. Now, if you're playing this game, you're gonna really wanna start with the endpoint analysis cards, endpoint protection analysis cards, read a card and the SIM card. Those tend to be the most th powerful three cards that you can have in this game. So now he's built up a little bit more defense and capability to repel, but here's the problem for player one right now. As I said, there's a balance to this game. Is your goal in life to just be as fast as possible, to attack as much as possible? Or is your goal to try to defend your network and repel the attacker off of your network and break their cyber kill chain over here? Well, in this scenario, the attacker could press the attack. They could try to build the rest of player one's cyber kill chain here. They could try to build their cyber kill chain up a little bit more, or they could attack the player two. In this particular scenario, player one decides to go on the defense. So player one rolls an, uh, an eight on endpoint security to remove the malicious service. Because they have the procedure, if you look, eight is less than 10, and it's actually less than 11, they would have normally failed. But because they have the proper procedure card over here, they get a plus three modifier. So it's eight, nine, 10, 11. That means they just removed one card from the cyber kill chain of player two. So that card now disappears. So that's, that's basically going through. Now player one rolls and they're unsuccessful for the next turn and it moves on to player two. So now if you look, player two's attack has been kind of diminished. Their cyber kill chain is down by one. They still wanna buy cards. So they're gonna buy some more defense cards. So they're gonna buy a firewall log review and analysis card. Now they're ready to start doing their action. Player two rolls to attack player one and their roll is a two. It fails, it fails hard. So their turn is now over. Player one decides because their, their, their roll was a two and it failed, they basically get some resource points now. So if we look at the Delta, 10 minus two is eight. And then player one gets one resource point. And player two, you can see that they're building up their resource points over here. 
So they were able to earn some money because their their ability to repel the attack was unsuccessful. So they now have eight resource points. Once again, you only get money whenever you fail at a defensive role at that particular. So now what's going to happen is player one's going to buy a persistence card. They want to keep on the attack path to build their cyber attack kill chain. They want to make sure they have good depth as far as what they can put in place to attack their, uh, their, their opponent. So now player one rolls. They roll again on attack and they get an 11. So now they've built up HTTPS as an exfil. So they're building that cyber kill chain. It's still not built all the way, but it's definitely getting there. So they get to roll again because their attack was successful. They get to roll again. Now, the, in this situation, player one rolls a 20. Now, as I said, at this point, nothing special happens with a 20 or one. It's just it was successful in completing out their cyber kill chain right here. So now the attacker has a full and complete cyber kill chain. Now they can start stealing money over here. See, the defender has a big old hoard of cash. The player one attack cyber kill chain is complete. Now they can start rolling to steal money from the defender. So because they're on the attack, because they were successful, they get to roll again. So with this, if the defender does not remove any attack cards, player one can now roll to steal these resource points over here. So now let's move on. Player one goes on the attack to try to get back at player, sorry, player one goes on attack to get these resource points. And in this situation, player one rolled a 15, and that means they could steal five resource points from the defenders. If you look here, you can see the resource points show up and disappear. And so, oh, there you go. Here we go. So you can see the resource points disappear. So they steal five resource points from the defender. So we're draining that bank account from the defender because now we've completed the cyber kill chain. At this point, player one goes on the attack again. Because the first one was successful, they roll a five. It's under 10. Their turn is over. Now, player two in their buying phase decides to buy an endpoint protection and analysis card. They're going to need it because they need something to try to repel player one. So, player two rules to, uh, rolls to remove the logon scripts card right here. So, they're attacking that card. Unfortunately, they rolled a two, and their turn is now over. Player one buys another initial attack card, once again, just planning for the future. And then player one rolls a 17, steals seven more resource points from the defender. So because the cyber attack kill chain is completed, that means that every time they roll, everything over 10, they get to steal. This also means they get to roll again, they roll a 13, and all the resource points from player two are gone, and the game is over. So that is the overall kind of walkthrough and the game itself. I want to open it up for questions. I wanted to leave about 15 to 10, 15 minutes for questions. But if we go back to the core principles of the game, it's actually really, really basic. You're going to buy cards and then you're going to roll. And you can choose to attack or defend on your rolls. And everything that's over 10, like 11 or higher, is successful. Everything that's lower than that is failed. So let's jump into the questions. I see that there's a lot of questions. Yep, all the red ones are, are the ones that we should answer. 
Uh, can the other players see your cards other than the ones in the middle for both players? Yep, we wanted to make it so everyone would have that visibility. We removed the fog of war because it it made the game just this game of simply rolling and trying to uh, just remove cards and having rolling a high value. So because you can see the attacker's cards, that means that you now have a little bit of strategy in actually setting up the right defense against that right card itself. So yeah, you can absolutely see each other's cards. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, and you know, at the core of this game is teaching people and sharing knowledge. So that's yep. you know, one of the reasons. Uh, are procedure cards bought at random, drawn at random, or do you pick nope. the specific card you want? You pick, you pick the specific procedure card that you want. And I will tell you right now, you're going to want the NetFlow card, you're going to want the Endpoint Protection Analysis card, and then you're going to want like a SIM card or UBEA card. So in the very beginning, can the players see each other's starting hands initially, or are they hidden? Yep. Yep, you can see each other's starting hands initially, absolutely. So you can see that these cards are not placed and these two cards are not placed. You can see those cards. I want everything on the table. And that also adds in a little bit more strategy. If I see that this person has, let's say, like no cards for attacking that are successful for uh, endpoint bypass, then I probably want to buy an endpoint bypass card. So you absolutely can see it. This card question came up a few times. So if the defender has the plus three on the procedure card, does that add into the RP that they get? No, it does not. Because remember, you only make RP if you fail. So if you have, oh, I see what you're talking about. So no, the RP that you earn is always the value of the roll. The, the plus modifier doesn't go into the resource points that you get. So if you roll a three and you have procedure card and you got three four five six it would be ten minus three for seven you wouldn't you wouldn't get the uh the, the amount of resource points that you collect is not the role is not taken into account for that for the plus modifier uh, can you make more than one purchase during a your phase nope. of the turn yeah you can only do one purchase and the reason why we did that was we initially had it that you could purchase multiple cards but whenever you get someone that has a lot of resource points they can just buy all the procedure cards very, very quickly. And then the procedure cards are stacked up very fast. The other reason why we have it so you can only buy one card per turn is in reality, whenever you're implementing defenses, you don't ever see a company that implements defenses that fast. There's always a certain amount of time and effort that has to go into implementing proper defenses. So we wanted to implement that a little bit in here as well. Uh Oh, this question came up a few times is, so if you've never heard of backdoors and breaches before, before today, if you mm -hmm. came to this webcast and you're like, oh, you may think that the competitive version of backdoors and breaches is the first version of backdoors and breaches. So we were sharing that there's a traditional version. So John, could you just give like a synopsis of the traditional version? So the traditional version is basically very similar to this, except the there's somebody called an incident master that's like a dungeon master that's kind of the person in charge of the structured tabletop walkthrough using these cards. So they build the attack, and then it's up to the defenders to kind of uncover and defend against that particular attack. So there's an incident master that you're going up against that's not a competitive player, but they're there to facilitate the conversation and walk you through whether or not you're successful in repelling the attack. 
And so if you want, we actually have a full another hour webcast talking about those rules as well. Yeah, we'll drop that uh, link in the chat and we'll also send it out in the uh, follow-up email to this. So everyone that is currently watching this will get a follow-up email with the slides and with a recording once that's up. Give us about a week for all that. Uh, so Justin so, said, so for the cyber kill chain, are these random cards or do you pick the kill chain cards as well? You can pick the kill chain cards. You can absolutely pick the kill chain cards that you want to use. We did play it both ways and it didn't impact gameplay anyway. We tried it just a random red card, a random purple, a random brown, and a random yellow. And then we also played it where we could see exactly what we were getting. And honestly, it didn't change the game at all. All right. Uh, does the defender does the defender's failed roll only result in RP when it's the first roll? If they purchase something, is it null? No, you always purchase something every single turn. And if you fail, you're always going to gain resource points for that failure based on the value of the dice, the unmodified value of the dice. So yeah, you roll a three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you get seven RP. If you have a card, if you purchased a card, it doesn't matter. It is only about the fact that that roll failed. You failed at security and we're throwing money at the problem. Good question. If player two breaks the kill chain, you just have to complete it again by buying an attack card and placing it to continue stealing RP, right? Yes, and that's where this gets interesting though. If I break the kill chain, let's say down here, I remove HTTPS's exfil, there's no, like let's just card real quick. All right, so if I kill that kill chain and this person doesn't have an HTTPS's data exfil, then this person has to buy an HTTPS data exfil. Not a, they have to buy a C2 exfil card to put it in there. And that's cool because the more you're trying to set up your opponent spending their time buying these cards for attack, the less they're going to have time and money to buy their defending cards. So you really want to focus. So like if somebody has an extra purple card, you don't want to target this purple card because they have a purple card that can drop right in there. You want to target one of the two cards that they don't have an attack in depth in. So that way it makes it a lot more difficult for them to complete their cyber kill chain. And when we played that, we saw that that was some of the strategy that was going into the game. So yes, mm -hmm. you, you want to knock it out and then you want to force them to buy that category of an attack card again. Can you do a quick run through of what the colors mean? The so cards? the colors themselves uh, at the top of the webcast so the red cards are initial attack and compromise. How does the attacker get in the environment? The purple cards are persistence. How are they staying on that environment? The brown is command and control and exfil. How are they communicating with their malware and getting data out of your environment? The yellow is pivot and escalate. How are they moving around the environment? How are they escalating their, uh, their privileges? And the blue are the defensive pr uh, procedures that are Uh, so we get this question a little, you know, from the people who are watching and they're like, I'm going to forget a lot of the stuff that you said, John. Is there written procedures? And the answer is no. Uh, we're bringing on interns real soon that will flesh all that out. And I would say we're about a month away from having all these as a visual guide that you'll be able to, uh, to yep. download and use. So Why are we doing it going, today? You're, you're, stuck, uh, you're stuck going through this and watching the video with us. Uh, if, if you target a card that is, you target a card that is out. Oh, yeah. Uh, this question came up a bunch. 
So if a procedure card gets knocked out, is it out for the rest of the game or can it come back in? Procedure cards are never removed. Uh, once you've purchased a procedure card, it is permanent. If you no attack and knock out an attack card, it can come back, but the uh, the the person the player is going to have to rebuy that card and then re-roll to deploy that card. Uh, so Jack wants to know if uh, he can play with us at RSA, and the answer is John. I'm not going to. Oh wait, yeah, you are. Put me down. I'll be at RSA. Put me down at RSA, and I'd be happy to play it with you. I've got a really good card question here from Martin. Martin mm -hmm. says, does breaking a kill chain prevent uh, any further attacks if the attacker has no equivalent replacement cards? Yes. So if you've broken the cyber kill chain here, right here, and the attacker has purchased no more C2X fill cards, no more brown cards, that chain is broke. They need to fill that hole again. That means they're going to have to buy a card, and then they're going to have to play that card back in to put it into that hole. So that cyber kill chain is busted until they can rebuy a card and then play and roll that card back in to complete the kill chain. This is a question about the educator shipments. So uh, we've been sending out free decks to educators. We sent 120 packs, so 120 educators, and we just didn't have the cards that we needed to be able to send the rest of them. So that is something that we're working on and we will send an update to the other educators because we were expecting about 90 people to respond and 514 did. So that's where it threw us off. I got a question from Stuart. Does the attacker have to build the kill chain in order? The answer is yes. They have to do initial attack and compromise, persistence, C2 exfil, and then lateral movement and escalation. We will be playing at Shmukon. How come pivot and escalate is last versus C2 and exfil doesn't matter? It, 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 we had to put it in an order, and there's actually a couple of different things that I was wrestling with. Would persistence come before uh, C2 and exfil? And basically, whenever I'm looking at the order of operations, you find a way into a network with initial attack and compromise. You get some type of implant on that network, and in short order, your implant and your C2 exfil goes in. And then once you have the, the way in, the malware in place, communication with the malware, then you would start moving laterally in that environment and searching for additional ways to escalate privileges. So that's just kind of the way that I put the chain together. There was no real, like, yeah, this is 100% the way it always is. It's just I needed to come up with an order, and this more closely represented what we do at Black Hills Information. Yep. Is there a banker that hands out the RPs, or is that yeah. up to the integrity? Uh, yeah, you, you, it's up to the integrity of the players. So you could have a banker if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, this question's come up a few times. Are there any plans to turn this into an open source online game? If we were talking about making it like a, a mobile game that you could play, if we were going to do that, it would probably be a website. And then you could play it on the website for free. Yes, there's plans. But folks, like just getting this game out, selling it out, the training and stuff that we've been doing for free training that we have coming up in April for threat hunting, uh, which is really close to sold out. And then doing the videos and stuff, we're just tapped. So please be patient with us. There's so much happening at, at BHIS and active countermeasures right now. So yes, there's an expansion pack in the works. And yes, we want to create a mobile app. But no, I just don't have the cycles uh, to handle it. And I, Jason and Deb, they're about ready to break anyway. 
with so much <laughs> going on. So we're doing the best we can, folks. So just sit tight. There's more cool stuff coming. Yep. And this question's come up a few times. The gray inject cards, are they used in competitive backdoor breaches? They are not used because many of the cards make absolutely no sense. They just don't. The lead incident handler is taken away on family medical leave. Well, how would that impact the game? It wouldn't. It, you know, ASOC, the intern, unplugs the system that's being analysis. How would that play into the game? It, it wouldn't. So that those predominantly apply for the uh, traditional incident master game. Now, with the expansion packs, what, the way the expansion packs are going to work is I've got permission from like 300 people on Twitter, people that are really, really, really super famous on Twitter, and some people that aren't nearly as famous, but their friends are like, this person's really, really good. We've gotten permission to create character cards. So the way character cards will work is you can buy a consultant card, and then that consultant card will force injects. That consultant card will force activities, um, will give you additional modifiers. That consultant card could be hold this consultant card until the attacker successfully drops the HTTP data exfil card. And when they do, then you can automatically remove that in another card of your choosing. So we're going to create those character cards and sell them separate, but it's just taking time. And we were expecting like 15, 20 cards for the expansion pack, but it blew up in our face again. Well, <laughs> the theme. All right. So everyone that is currently on the webcast, this is the end of this webcast. We're going to kill the recording. John's going to say some, uh, some final words, and then we're going to go into some rapid fire, just question answering for about five to 10 minutes afterwards. So thanks yep. for being here today and thanks for being here. And if you need a pen test, let us know. John. Yep. So I just wanted to say thanks. I've been really, really, really nervous about this. And I appreciate you guys being part of this entire adventure, getting up to this point and where we're going. It's been, I think, Jason, Deb, I think this has been one of the coolest things I have ever done in my life for me personally. And the idea of how we... Uh, uh, got here is very strange. So I really appreciate you guys being part of kind of the BHIS family and uh, being with us for this this strange but really cool ride as well. And I'm already seeing people though, like red and blue consultant cards. Yes, you'll have offensive and defensive cards. I'll give you a hint. One of the cards is Rob M. Lee from Dracos. And I have a Rob M. Lee card that's a defense card and it helps you, you know, repel like, you know, the persistence card, right? So it's a Rob M. Lee card that's a good Rob M. Lee card. And then I have another card that I created called Rob M. Lee's Beard. If you haven't ever seen Rob Lee's Beard, it is epic. And Rob Lee's Beard is evil. And Rob Lee's Beard is sick and tired of the saving the world crap. It just wants to make bad things happen. So I have a card that's Rob Lee's Beard that is an attack card. Yes, we have cards for Jake Williams, and I have a card for um, for uh, uh, Ian Coldwater. Yes, they've already been on Terra's and Deviants, and so we have all these different cards we're working on. But it takes time, so much time, you guys. But uh, that's it.